message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. guys been the last three years. Beautiful. Thank you for singing and all of your hard work uh, to bless us this evening with that. If you've got a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it now to Luke chapter 1. And welcome once again to Trinity Grace. We're so glad that you're here with us this evening, especially if you're a guest. And Merry Christmas. Hopefully this service has been just a brief opportunity for us to pause in the midst of a busy season and to reflect upon the birth of our Savior this evening as we trace the beautiful promises of God made to us through the Scriptures, and as we read about the historical accounts of Jesus being born from the Gospel writers themselves. And during the season of Advent, if you've been around Trinity Grace on Sunday mornings, you know that we've been looking at the women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. 
Believe it or not, the New Testament begins with a genealogy. It's hard to believe that someone would want to start a story that way, but Matthew does in chapter one of his gospel account. And one of the surprising things that we see in Matthew's genealogy is the fact that he includes women in the family tree of Jesus. And this would have been unusual in that culture. To include women in a genealogy wasn't normal. And what's more, he mentions women that no one would have expected. He, like, he highlights outsiders. He highlights morally compromised women. Women like Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba. And we've had the chance to look at their stories over the past few weeks here on Sunday mornings. And tonight, we're going to turn our attention to the fifth woman that Matthew mentions, the literal mother of Jesus, a young girl named Mary. The church father, Augustine, reflecting on the fact that God took on flesh and was born of a woman named Mary, said this, Jesus was created by a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy. He the word without whom all human eloquence is mute. This evening, as we consider the mother of Jesus, we're going to consider a passage from the Gospel of Luke, the writer who gives us the fullest portrait of Mary. And it's through Mary that the Creator actually enters the scene of history. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, we see the Creator of the universe unzip space and time and step into a world that He had made. It's what C.S. Lewis once called the Grand Miracle. And we're going to turn our attention to a passage that foretells that grand miracle, the account of an angel visiting the mother of Jesus, and see how it might encourage us in gospel hope this evening. So you listen as I read from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you, you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Well, this is God's word and he gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. Many of you know that I love biographies. Love biographies. It's one of my favorite genres of book to read. And I specifically love to read presidential biographies. 
where you're able to get a peek behind the scenes, so to speak, of the curtain of an important person's life. It's interesting to hear about how people who rose to such prominence and influence, how they grew up. Interesting to hear what their families were like, what kind of events and even what kind of tragedies shaped them in their early lives. And as you read biographies of influential people as believers in God's sovereignty, we know in many ways it's a story of God's providence and control and shaping them into the people they became. We believe that God placed these men in the right place at the right time to actually have the impact they had. We know that God is always at work behind the scenes, orchestrating events and using people in this world for very specific purposes. Well, that dynamic is in the story that we just read. We get a little biography of Mary in a sense, And thankfully for us, God's providence in God's work is a little more explicit on the pages of Scripture. As we take a brief look at Mary, the mother of Jesus tonight, I think we can learn something not only about Mary herself, but also about God and how He wants to work in this world. We can learn more of God's grace and mercy. We can learn more about how God loves to work as we take a brief look at the life of Mary. So let's reflect on Mary for just a few minutes to see why God might use her in such an extraordinary way. Why use someone so unexpected and so insignificant to be the mother of the Savior of the world? Who is Mary? Well, we know that she's a young girl. Luke tells us that she's betrothed to Joseph, which means she's likely around 13 or 14 years of age because according to Jewish custom, a girl could be betrothed at around 12 years of age. We know that she wasn't a person from a notable background. She doesn't come from a family of prominence. In fact, we don't really get much comment on her family of origin at all on the pages of the scriptures. Her parents are never mentioned. Her background is largely unknown. By all accounts, she was simply living a simple life when she was singled out by God for arguably the most important task the world had ever known. We also know that she's from Nazareth, which is described by Luke as a city. But he describes it as a city because there's no word for town in the Greek language. Nazareth was actually a small town, one that wouldn't even have shown up on a map, one that Luke had to describe as a city of Galilee so that people knew what part of the country he was actually talking about. Mary was really, for lack of a better word, a nobody. She was nothing notable. The most significant thing about Mary is her insignificance. And if you put yourself in her shoes, you'd understand how she would have been scared, like Luke mentions in his passage. After all, she's now pregnant before being married. She's talking about being visited by angels with her friends and her family. She's likely being looked down upon by them. She is suffering for being favored by God, suffering for being blessed. I think oftentimes we miss Mary's quiet, humble heroism. Lots was on the line for her in being called as God's servant in this special way. You got to think about it. She would have been the object of public scorn, people speculating about just what kind of immorality Mary must have been up to to get pregnant like this. 
She would have been in jeopardy of losing her relationship with Joseph, her fiance, in the way that she was going to be protected and provided for by him for the rest of her life. She would have been liable to be kicked out of the community, completely forsaken, viewed as an immoral woman by some and a lunatic by others. I love how Sinclair Ferguson puts it when he says, God burdened Mary with this blessing. God burdened Mary with this blessing. From all that we see in the Gospels, we know that Mary was powerless and she was lowly. Before this visit from the angel, she was largely insignificant, unknown, powerless. She had nothing that would have attracted the eyes of the world to her. And if you've read your Bible, you know that because of all of this, she was the perfect candidate for God's work. The perfect candidate for God's work. This is a passage that reminds us that God loves to visit those who are powerless, to use those who are lowly and not regarded by the world's standards. And I would imagine that's how we feel more often than not, more often than we'd like to admit, powerless and lowly, insignificant. And it's an encouragement for us as we think about the year we just had, 2020 a year where we came face to face with our lack of power in many ways, a year characterized by feeling low and discouraged relationally, vocationally, emotionally, spiritually. We're powerless in many ways, powerless to change relationships that we wish could make better, powerless to defeat sin and temptation in our own strength. We're powerless when it comes to how our bodies disintegrate and disease overtakes us. We're powerless against debilitating depression and sadness that we experience, powerless against the inevitable approach of death. We're also lowly in many ways not knowing exactly why everything we experience works out for good, not actually believing that, not able to change certain aspects of our lives and our experiences, not able to pull ourselves up to experience the joy and the happiness that we wish we could in life, especially during this season. I think we can resonate with Mary in many ways. And we can find great comfort and hope as we see how God uses Mary in our passage, in our world, we see that God is with her, literally with her if you think about it, just like he is with you, literally in your heart by the Spirit this evening. We see from our passage that God loves his people. We see that God is one who shows up. We see that God is one who remembers and keeps his promises towards his people. Remember, Mary is not important and significant before God calls her. In fact, she's what we might call, like I said earlier, a nobody. But God comes and makes her important. He comes and meets her where she's at, in her lowest state, specifically because she's what the world might classify as a nobody. God meets Mary in her weakness and humility. God comes to her for no good reason other than his grace. And what we see in our passage and what we're reminded of on Christmas is that God delights to highly favor those who don't have enough. He delights to highly favor those who don't have enough. In fact, you could say Mary had nothing. She had nothing. And that's exactly the kind of situation that attracts the attention of God. 
God put this young girl, the one who has nothing in his plan, and she plays a highly favored role. Mary shows us that God is incredibly merciful, incredibly merciful. Mary reminds us that God is found in the weak and the humble of this world. She reminds us that God isn't hiding. God is not trying to be aloof, but you can only find him in the places where he wants to be found. She reminds us that God's always merciful and true to his promises. And through the baby that Mary carries, we get to tangibly experience God's mercy in our lives in this world. To witness just how far God is willing to go to rescue a people that he loves. I like how one of my friends put it when he said this. Other kings were first a baby. Jesus was first a king, then a baby. In Mary's womb, his glory was hidden, but not diminished. This baby Mary carries would grow up and he'd identify with people like Mary. In fact, that's what he came to do, to identify with people like Mary and to identify with people like you and me. This baby would grow up and be cursed when he should have been blessed. He'd be abandoned when he should have been received. He'd be looked down upon when he should have been worshiped. All so that you and I might, along with Mary, experience the peace and joy that comes along with being favored by God. Let me pray for us this evening. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming and stepping into this world, for being with us so that you might forgive us, so that you might make us new, so that you might use us in your grand purposes of redemption. We pray this evening and that tomorrow as we think about your birth, as we reflect upon who you are and what you've done, that you would bring great joy to our hearts and souls that you would help us to experience your love as we gather with our families and our friends in order to remember the great links that you have gone to in order to rescue and to save your people. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would turn our hearts' affections upon you. It's in your name we pray, amen.